It's not like when she died, the dog was like, oh boy, I'm gonna get some bones with this. Here we go! Press them on your children. Press them on your children. Press them on your children, yeah. Talk about them when you see Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I'm uh, a little tired towards the end of the day, towards the end of the week, so um, I'm feeling that a little bit, but yeah pretty good how about you i'm doing well so we we're just getting fresh off i we had a vacation and i got back on uh, like five days ago and daniel got back like four days three days ago today so you know that was relaxing so have you had much vacations this summer uh a little bit not not a lot yeah, I was looking at the time off I had left this year. I was like, oh, man, I've got a lot of time. Uh, and just some of it, just the way it fell, um, like sometimes we often will go with my parents to the beach, uh, but it was like right before our vacation Bible school. That's just not a great time yeah. for me to get away. And so anyway. No, I get it. So, yeah, it seems like the uh, up here in New England, it seems like the Red Sox have been on vacation since the All-Star break. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they should get back from that vacation and actually play baseball. Yeah, it looks like the Yankees are going to wrap that one up. Oh, yeah, easily. So, but, uh, you know, when we were on vacation this time, actually, uh, it's interesting because, uh, for our dog, it's a bit of a vacation too. We actually, at our church, one of the other elders, uh, Michael Breton, so shout out to Pastor Michael. Uh, he, uh, him and his wife will watch along with their ad- adult children now, will wa- take our dog Knox and kind of allow him to have a summer home, if you will. <laughs> And so when we, I picked him up on Saturday, uh, and it's Thursday when we're recording, and I went to pick him up and, you know, take him home and get him out of their house. And he was like, I don't want to leave. He was just so enjoying his time with, uh, the Bretons, and they have two dogs that are like his best buds. And, you know, he was, uh, thoroughly, uh, just, she had quite the life, didn't he? So. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's good that you're, you know, the dog's well taken care of. I, uh, I have a hamster, uh, a dwarf hamster, so I okay. uh, hadn't really had to accommodate him too much Less or her too much. Less work involved in that. So oh, now yeah. with pets brought up, we actually want to talk about pets on our podcast. And uh, I want to ask you, Ben, did you have any family pets when you were a kid? Yes, uh, I had a, a hamster for a little bit. I don't really remember if the hamster just died or if we gave it away or something. Had a cat for a while. And we had some dogs. Okay. And we went through a period where we didn't have anything. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we basically had a zoo uh, throughout my childhood. So, uh, at different <laughs> points, actually, a lot of this overlapped, but at different points, we had rabbits, we had lizards, uh, 
I think two lizards. Uh, we had uh, dogs, many dogs throughout my childhood. So uh, usually two at a time, but not always. Uh, that uh, we had we had a cat. I think maybe two cats during my life growing up. We had f- multiple fish. Uh, including, I had a fish that was eaten by my brother's fish. Uh, and my sister, when I was, uh, towards the end of my childhood, and actually when I was a young adult, my sister had a duck. So, uh, we had a lot of okay. things. So. Nice. Yeah, it was interesting. Kept us busy with all those animals. So, with that zoo, we could have charged admission, really. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting in my household, Danielle was kind of the opposite. She never really had any pet really at all until uh, we got Knox. And Knox, uh, who's her Shih Tzu Poodle mix, he is pathetically fluffy, but he's a good dog. So, and, uh, you know, I, I'll say, though, I've always liked pets. You know, I've always been somebody who enjoys having pets, especially dogs, you know, maybe not so high of opinion about cats. Sorry, listeners. But, <laughs> and so I think it is right to think about pets at times, you know, to think about pets as a theological issue because all issues are theological, right, Ben? Comes back to it. So why do you think pets are so important to um, most American families? They could be fun. They can be snuggly. I mean, our hamster doesn't like I mean, I don't, it doesn't like to be held and it gets, you know, I think think like die if you hold it, it gets all stressed out. But, uh, and I think there's some level of personality in them. They're excited to see you, especially the dogs and <laughs> people just enjoy that. Um, and I like pets too, even though, I mean, I guess we have a pet, but it's again, it's very like out of the way. And, uh, sometimes it squeaks at night, like in the little wheel thing. And so I just go put it on our we have a sunroom um, behind our house, and so I can't I can't sleep with that that noise going on. And they're nocturnal, so um, I guess I mean I'm just not the biggest pet person, but I think that's why. And I, and I enjoy like my parents have both of my parents uh, have dogs and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't. Know, what do you think? Yeah. So the cynical side of myself says, you know, people want a companion with little obligations. I think that's part of why it's kind of taken off because, you know, even, you know, probably dogs have a lot more involved in the hamster or the fish, but uh, they're definitely not something that, uh, you know, have to have the obligations of, of, of having, you know, a child or having mm-hmm. a spouse. Uh, but, you know, I think there is a good sense of companionship in owning pets. Uh, may I'm not sure if that's the case with fish. You know, fish are nice to look at, but you know, maybe maybe somebody's best friend is their fish. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about that another time. <laughs> but uh, I think the rise of pets is also coinciding with the decline of friends. And uh, in America, that that is definitively not great. That you know, people seem to almost be replacing having real human connections with having you know connections that you know eat uh, eat dirt off the floor. You know, eat <laughs> piece of trash off the floor. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, a colorful way of putting it. But yeah, yeah, the bowling alone thing, and then yeah, people are having less kids and all that. Anywho, so now, uh, should Christians treat pets as their kids and put their dogs in like ridiculous outfits? Uh, I'll just say I am not a fan of that. It's trying to make them something that they're not. 
They're just, they're not people. They're not made in God's image. And while they have some level of person, a dog in particular, they have some level of personality that's different than a, a snake or a, you know, monitor lizard or something like that. They're just, they're, they're not people. Um, I think some who don't have kids find it as a way to, to nurture and they may really want kids. I mean, I can, you know, like uh, some single ladies who have animals and, you know, they care well for the animal. They probably do more for the animal than I would. I, but I don't know if I was single, maybe, maybe I would do it differently. But uh, I mean, I'm like, I, I got three kids. And so it's just not I, I don't have a lot of emotional or financial energy and resources to devote to some animal. Um, but then there's others who really don't want to have kids yeah. or, I mean, even I've seen homosexuals who, I mean, biologically they cannot have children. Um, they can use various means to, to have children, but, um, and it can become like this strange narcissistic indulgent luxury kind of thing. It's just, it's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I'm not trying to, you know, pile on homosexuals. Um, but I've just seen some of that stuff, just these lavishly in uh, indulgent things done for animals and uh, and it's not just homosexuals but um, I think it's something to do with like you were talking about the, the loss of family and, and um, loss of human connections that it is a little concerning but I don't know I mean did, did Knox did he come home in a like a little suit or something from his vacation or he most certainly did not so yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, the Geneva gown or something? No. So, you know, the uh, I will say that, uh, you know, I asked the outfit thing for the sake of humor largely. I don't think the outfit thing is really necessarily wrong, moral, but I, I just got to say, you know, I've never seen a dog that's been in an outfit that doesn't look miserable. You know? <laughs> My grandpa had a dog that like he had this little coat thing. And so in the winter, he would put it on her to take her outside to go to the bathroom. And it was like she really enjoyed it. Okay, good <laughs> but... to know. Maybe there's an exception. And I will say that, you know, I saw online somebody had made a demigorgon from the Stranger Things outfit for their dog. And, and that was kind of humorous. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but apart from the, the silly animal outfit that I'll probably never put on my dog, maybe. I think the family language use is something not made in the image of God, like you said, is concerning. I mean, you've expressed it very clearly. The dogs or cats or your pet monkey that's going to rip your neighbor's face off is not made in the image of God. And so, but Ben's losing it here, brothers and sisters. I'm just picturing like Michael Jackson or something. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's not made in the image of God. And so, you know, to treat it as that, to treat it kind of as family is is really not okay. Uh, you know, I think I've, I hear people especially young people that, you know, choose not to have kids or sometimes can't, you know, refer to themselves as like a pet mom or a pet dad. And I think what this, this delegitimizes the complexity of parenthood and human relationships. And yeah, and I do, I mean, I think it's, I know it's almost selfish. It's to take, you know, what is valuable to something, what is hard work, what is, uh, you know, what is one of life's greatest stressors and to apply it to something that you think is fluffy and cute. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that's okay. But, uh, I mean, because really pets to me are basically an extension of self in a way that really family can't be. You know, I mean, you get the, I mean, you get to choose your dog. You get to choose, yeah, I mean, you, 
pick a breed based upon the personality that's going to have. And if it doesn't work out, then you can drop them off at, you know, the, uh, the pound. Uh, but, you know, that's not how family works. Family doesn't get to conveniently be how we want it to be. Yeah. So now does pet ownership have anything to do with the Bible and theology? Well, I mean, back in Genesis one, you've got people and you've got animals and this clear structure of, of, you know, there's a hierarchy there. Uh, some people don't like that, but um, I saw a bumper sticker the other day, and it's like in speciesism, and I've seen stuff like that before. But I mean, we're clearly told to have dominion over. Uh, I mean, you know, God's words. You know, let's make man in our image, uh, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the the birds of the the air and this kind of thing. Um, but it is a it, that includes care. It's a benevolent dominion. And, yeah. uh, but it's not, that's not the same thing as idolatry either, worshiping the animals. Um, and so, I mean, it gets it to the core. It's, it's not the only thing. It's not just ruling over the animals, ruling over the earth and, and exercising uh, authority in a good way like God. But animals are part of that creation. And so it does get into how we treat animals. I mean, people that are putting firecrackers and, and frogs and stuff, that, that's not good. That, that's a concerning mm-hmm. sign. And, um, I mean, while, I, a frog doesn't have a whole lot of moral weight. I mean, just torturing something for the fun of it is, is that's not a godlike yeah. thing to do. Uh, I do. Th- I mean, there's some definitely some biblical passages I think that apply. Obviously, in scripture, I mean, nobody had a pet in the way that we have pets and biblical figures. You know, there's not exam- there's not passages about you know about Jacob having a great time with his you know with his pet bull uh, a bull terrier or something like that. Uh, but uh, you know, like, but animals existed, and you know, and man had a relationship to some degree with animals. Uh, and the Bible calls very, very clearly to deal justly and rightly with animals, uh, not to the degree that you would with humans, but nonetheless to take care of them. Uh, Proverbs 12.10 says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, uh, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. And so, I mean, so it shows in that, you know, right? And that righteousness is shown in somebody who even takes care of the animal that is used for farming purposes. You know, you don't abuse those. You take care of that because it is God's, not ours. Uh, and Deuteronomy 25.4, which is really applied to pastors in the New Testament uh, in a lot of ways, but it as original meaning still has something to it. Deuteronomy 25, 4 says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading the grain. And, and really that's what basically referring to don't overly tax an animal that's being used, used to work and used to, to be service to humanity and, and not for the sake even, I don't think that's ever been about making sure that it saves productive long, but it's just taking care of the animal because it, it's fundamentally right for godly people values so uh mm-hmm. and then even you know i think a passage you know to a degree there's a little bit of right doctrine wrong text but not completely uh luke 12 6 jesus is talking about god's care for us as christians and he can and jesus compares it to god's love uh for even sparrows uh and uh, you know obviously he loves us well more than sparrows but he says in luke 12 6 are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before god so god cares about the animals in this earth not in the same way that he cares about us but nonetheless he does and therefore how we treat 
the and treat animals, how we interact with animals, how we think about animals is going to be relevant to how we think about their maker, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. And like you said, I mean, humans are vice regents of creation. We're, we're to steward over animals, and that doesn't necessarily mean putting them in cute uh, costumes in Halloween, but, you know. <laughs> or day-to-day. Yeah. Now, does animal adoption make sense according to Christian understanding of adoption? A lot of people like to talk about, you know, I adopted an animal, or, you know, maybe they'll say almost that the animal adopted me. Um, I think it's a good thing to do if you want to do that, uh, but it's nowhere on the same level. Uh, it just seems a little, and, and I'm not adopted, though I do know people who have or are in process of that. Um, and it's to me, it seems a little insulting to people who have adopted children. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I know I one of my parents' dogs had puppies while I was still in the house, and uh, I was helping, you know care for them and I mean it it involves some work for sure but I've also in the process of raising three children and (laughs) it's not on the same level and I mean you know yes it's a headache and some of the one of the dogs they had uh, you know you take it outside to use the bathroom you're standing there waiting it was cold it's like my goodness please just go to the bathroom when I go inside finally you go back inside and you know the dog runs and goes behind a chair and goes to the bathroom it's like are you kidding me you know I mean that's aggravating but it's just it's not the same thing and so again I mean being as charitable as I could people who want to nurture it's like a a way for them and some of them you know they they can't have children for whatever the reason the life circumstances biologically um, that kind of thing but I don't think that's the only reason that some people do that kind of thing or refer to that kind of language and so um yeah if we ever get a dog from the pound it, we we just got a dog from the pound <laughs> yeah i that and that really that terminology and it's become more and more common i i, I find bothersome you know uh, we'll talk a little bit about like you know the the animal stores that could be legitimately cruel, uh, but you know you don't. There is no you don't talk about buying a dog or buying a cat anymore. You adopt them, which is you know just not accurate and helpful, and it's based on on a fundamentally uh, even emotionally unhelpful unhealthy relationship between an animal and a human. Uh, but you know fun. I mean, but if you even think about it for a second, if paying someone money for a dog and then forcing them to stay with you even in adulthood is adoption so is human cattle slavery i mean <laughs> you know think about it so uh but you know obviously that's a little bit of an overstatement but i mean it's comparable uh but it's not cute you know it's not cute to say it. it's it really is demeaning and I, i've known christians that have adopted children and again i mean that's a lot of is going through a lot there's a great deal of stresses and not the stresses of making sure that that i got the dog where that was that certain breed and i had to fly across country and bring it home in a kennel not that kind of stresses but real you know but bigger stresses not to negate that that can be hard on people uh, but yeah but that's a luxury um it's, it's just different yeah and i mean fundamentally christian adoption even and the theological concept is to make someone an heir 
you know, that, I mean, that's what Christ, God does when he adopts us. He, we we're made an heir in the kingdom, uh, that it is not to put someone in your will as an item to be received by others that it, are your heir, which is. I heard, I've heard of some rich lady that made her dog, her, you know, her heir. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, so she was trying to at least, you know, live that out. I don't but... <laughs> know that the dog can use money. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's not like when she died, the dog was like, oh boy, I'm going to get some bones with this. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now how should Christians think about the ethical questions though, in acquiring pets? I'm not sure if you're aware, but I mean, there's really a lot of hot debate in our culture about the ethics behind acquiring pets now. Um, I'm probably not aware. Um, I mean, I, I guess you should ask, like, can we take care of this animal properly? Uh, and I don't think that includes, are we able to buy gourmet food and provide it with dental care and psychological care and, and stuff like this? Um, you know, in some cultures, it's like we buy the animal and we eat it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, what kind of questions are you thinking of? Well, I mean, even uh, like puppy mills, questions, things like that. Uh, you know, the even about how pounds deal with animals and stuff like that. So there's a lot of big questions people ask about acquiring whether pet stores should exist. Hmm. I, yeah, I think that raises some good questions. I mean, I think it in some ways it shows that our culture is those are the questions that people ask in, in relative affluence. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I mean, and I'm not, not to make the, obviously that was a funny story about the, the dogs, but in a culture where they're eating dogs or things that we would consider pets, um, they're more concerned with survival. Uh, and some people, you know, just the, the link between animals and there's some old, these pets we don't use as food, but other ones we do use as food. Some people don't use any animals as food. Um, it gets it, it does force a lot of ethical issues. Um, I think some of those are in cultures that where we have a high level of influence, whereas in you know developing countries they're not so concerned about that. And not to say that they shouldn't be more concerned about some of those things, but um, so I guess I'm not directly answering it. But uh, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you brought that up, and even the eating animals question, because I, I actually do think in a way the ethical approach should be different in an animal that you're about to eat versus, you know, I mean, like one of the pet stores criticisms people had is that, you know, animals that are, are raised and they're put in those little cubby things that they don't develop right. And therefore they end up having substantial health issues in old age, which is kind of a moot point if you're having them for supper, you know, <laughs> but it is more of an ethical concern if, you know, you're planning on taking care of them through the old age. So, uh, but I, I want to say with these kind of questions that people like to ask about ethics, and I think a lot of Christians who ask these legitimately a ton of Christians think strongly about ethics in regards to acquiring pets. We do need to understand that sometimes animal ethics are complicated because it's difficult to quantify an animal's psychological suffering. So, I mean, you see that, for example, you know, some people are strongly against uh, that, uh, you know, uh, against having, having chickens that are raised and, you know, getting chickens for dinner that are raised in really, really close areas uh, and think that they should, you know, have a lot more room because you know they're suffering but it's hard to really quantify that the feeling that they feel like they're suffering and maybe they are and if somebody would approve it but it's a lot harder than you know you could ask a human slave 
do you like this? And they would say no, you know, <laughs> if they were allowed to say no. Uh, but, uh, you know, most states push against uh, what are known as puppy mills. And for listeners that don't know, puppy mills basically, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's not a helpful term, but it's a term for uh, places that raise uh, a bunch and bunch and bunch of puppies and very small areas. Frequently dogs, unlike chickens, are a lot more intelligent and that are, are not. God did not design them in a way that they're supposed to effectively be and, you know, extraordinarily tight corners to be able to fit them in places. And, uh, you know, I, most states have basically banned those kinds of things, those kind of ex- massive puppy operations that force animals into really tight spaces and don't meet their basic needs. Uh, and they've done that for a reason. And Christians should be quicker, I think, even to defend defendless animals, especially uh, that uh, when they're facing diseases and abuses that they shouldn't be. I, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the men may, maybe the atheist that, you know, there's nothing else to live for for their dog is going to want to fight passionately. But Christians, I think, have a good reason to care about how an animal is treated, as the Bible talks about it really more clearly than even a lot of ancient religious uh, documents. Uh, But, you know, I I think further in acquiring pets, another Christian ethic to me question we have to think about is, you know, there has been a very widely known problem lately of designer pets. You know, a designer pets basically is, is a pet breed that's very specific to look a certain way almost always at the expense of the health of the animal and uh, pursuing designer pets that are unhealthy as a result of the cute look that you want them to have uh, that or or even ones that hurt others I mean to me that is cruel I, I, I just I have a hard time seeing that as a just treatment of animals for God. I mean, I know that I'm not going to draw a line of what animals that includes because it's not our jobs as pastors. But to me, I think any time that we are kind of using so, using something that has biological life, that has a degree of, you know, social interaction with others as kind of our, our, our painting, you know, as like our paint to paint a painting with, we have done something wrong. I, I would assume you'd agree with that, right? I think at least in a, in a big picture sense, not, I mean, when you get into the details, maybe, I, I don't know. I, I haven't, I've have not thought about that as much. Just, I mean, that's just not a an area that, that comes to my mind a whole lot. Like I've had plenty of conversations about some of the uh, excesses of like pet culture, but yeah. more just people doing lavish things, you know, for animals. Not so much the the breeding and you know those kinds of things. So, now, is it healthy for a Christian to treat a pet as a companion or a comfort? I think to some extent. Uh, where you draw that line, that, that's another matter. But I mean, say a divorced person living alone, uh, having a dog around. Like I know someone that got divorced and they, you know, had a dog and I mean, social person and just not feeling completely alone um, after that. Uh, and that, that makes sense to me. Uh, or a single person with pets. Now, you were talking about earlier about the fish being your best friend. It's you're in a bad situation if it's your only or if your animal is your best friend. Um, That's not a healthy thing, nor is I mean, just thinking not just like an armchair psychologist kind of thing, but 
thinking biblically and theologically were made for connections with other people yeah. made in God's image. And so I think that's where it gets into an issue. And as far as you using your spiritual gifts and being ministered to others, that's not – I mean your dog just can't do that. Yeah, they're, they're excited to see you and they think you're great when you come in the house, but that's that's not – what Paul's talking about in, in places where he's talking about spiritual gifts and those kinds of things. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So the, uh, I, I definitely, I would agree that there is an extent to which it can be healthy and certain limited contexts. And, you know, I mean, uh, that, uh, but if your pet is your best friend, I mean, there's that terminology, you know, that, you know, a pet is man's best friend and, that should never be the case. There's something deeply wrong, you know, unless <laughs> that there, I saw a Tom Hanks movie recently where he was the last person on earth. Uh, I think then, and he had a pet animal dog and sure. That's fine. That could be your best friend if you're the last person. <laughs> Not really. That will never happen. Uh, but I think Genesis two shows us clearly man's companion is another person made in God's image or even better yet. Man's companion is God himself. So to consider ultimate companion anything but that, I think, is to miss the mark. Uh, and, you know, if the Bible repeatedly speaks of enjoying nasty sh uh, sheep, surely, though, it's okay to enjoy a dog, to enjoy a cat, a bird, or whatever strange animal you choose to have. Again, so long as it's not ripping your neighbor's face off. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can think, like, I, I gave a couple of examples, like a divorced person, a single person. If you got an elderly person um, or even sometimes a child, like, that can be a, a somewhat a level of comfort for them. And just, mm -hmm. the, I mean, the, I know uh, I know someone who's got a large dog, and when he's around us, like, he's super protective of my kids. And so I came in the house with a hat and sunglasses on, and he hadn't seen me like that before, and he was ready to eat my face off. Um and like he was like corral, you know, getting there and protecting the kids and protecting my wife. And she was like, take, take your hat off, take your sunglasses. And I did. And then he was like, oh, yeah, OK, you're good. <laughs> um, but uh, and that's I mean, that's a little extreme. But um, again, I, I think it's just another way where, yeah, I think they are a gift to us. They can be protectors and kids can find comfort in that. And sometimes animals, particularly dogs, can have a sense of like going and they gravitate to somebody in the family or something. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, Now, how does a Christian worldview lead to treating pets and other animals kinder? Does it mean that, uh, you know, we should spend all of our resources on charities that solve pet diabetes? Which, by the way, I legitimately saw an infomercial in Louisville, Kentucky, about pet diabetes and the need to give money to it. <laughs> well, I, it's funny. I saw some stats from Barna just within the last week, and the the biggest source of charitable contributions. I don't know if it was Americans or American Christians. It may have just been Americans. Um, the Christian churches um, were the highest. The second highest category was for animal well being or something like that. Seriously. Um, it, it was. It got more than like serious diseases and. Um, all kind of other stuff. The poor, yes, uh, wow. it was pretty astonishing to me. Um, now, thankfully, the church did prevail, and I think the church had about double what the animals were giving. But still, that that is a that's a concerning kind of situation, um, and it shows kind of what we're valuing as a culture. But um, I think there are worldview issues linked there, and 
I think you even said it earlier, but God owns them. They're, they're God's animals. And if yeah. God even cares about the sparrow, um, and those who are made in God's image, we rule over them in a benevolent way like God rules. And so as we care for animals and we care for the creation, we are imaging God. Now, it, it extends to in other ways. It's not simply with animals. Um, but when we understand that, we go, okay, these these are God's animals. Well, I'm not free to just abuse mm-hmm. them, uh, use them up um, in a way that's, that's simply beneficial to me. Now, I, I think we're permitted to eat them. Um, but not that's not the same as let's torture them before we eat them or uh, beat them and kick them and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So you're telling me that uh, we can deep fry them, but we can't kick them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's a good answer. So uh, but uh, you know, the only thing I'll add to that is actually this reminds me with, uh, you know, Christian worldview causing kinder treatment of animals it reminds me that of william wilberforce you know william wilberforce is known rightly for his strong campaigns against slavery uh but you know really he had he had another crusade and he always would tell people that you know it was it was kind of like uh really that that the two focus of his life he didn't just have one and the second focus was uh, fighting against animal cruelty and passing laws uh in england that prevented people from mistreating specifically their horses uh their you know the horses that took care of them their horses that you know took them from point a to point b and the and he did this actually as an extension of his world he he strongly believed that this was following biblical principles and that this is an area where that uh, his culture was deeply out of step with biblical morality and and i think that tells us a lot mm-hmm. so now how should christians respond to the abuse of pets I think we should be jarred by it um, and not be callous to it. I think if you see it or aware of it, to confront it. Um, I, I, do, I don't know. I struggle with that one because I think it is wrong. It's not something that I practice. Uh, however, it is different than uh, you know abusing a human being. Uh, but someone who abuses animals, it can be a, especially a child or a young person who's doing that. It can be a troubling signal of, of what they will go to next. Um, but yeah, that's really the the two things I would say. I mean, I, I don't know that I now I'm not a politician like William Wilberforce was, but I don't know that I'm going to lead a crusade for. And I honestly, I feel like our culture um, overvalues pets. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if they're receiving the, the second most charitable contributions um, in America, I think, you know, that's that's a, a whole different thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I think of, you know, the Atlanta Falcons down here, Michael Vick, and he got in trouble for dog fighting. Like that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Breeding dogs just to like attack each other. That, that's uh, – and animal suffering is different than human suffering. But still, that, that's not um, – that's not the same thing. Didn't he get punished worse than Deshaun Watson? I think that that was um, brought up that, yeah, some of these guys are doing things with, you know, women and children and different things. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, he was doing this with dogs. And, oh, we need to take him out and, like, kill him. And, again, it was wrong. But um, some of the other actions that some of these players were doing were more egregious in my mind because they were done against God's image bearers. But anyway. Yeah, I think personally, you know, I I am very hesitant to speak about – 
politics apart from what the Bible speaks, but I think that there are times and places in which we can and should push for laws. I suspect in the United States, you know, most laws that I, I, I know a lot of laws for animal protection has come from the biblical worldview already, and I'm not sure that there's a ton that needs to be put in place now, but, you know, to me, I, I think of, I mean, for a Christian, even not necessarily a pet, but an animal, I mean, should a Christian, what should a Christian be doing, you know, in their voting about bullfighting, for example, if they, if they live in Spain, which that is, I believe that is illegal in the entire United States. I don't believe it's legal. I was going to, I was thinking like, well, what's, where can you bullfight in America? Not in America, but I mean, perhaps <laughs> if you're a Spanish and a listener in Spain or, you know, much of the world and, you know, I, I think, but, you know, even if we don't push laws, we should not participate in those kind of things. You know, I really, I mean, we want, Danielle and I watched a, a biography about uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway. And Ernest Hemingway, he loved to see uh, bullfights and cockfights. And, uh, mm. and you know, and I, to me, even if you find that entertaining, I, I, that to me, that is profoundly incompatible with a Christian worldview, with a biblical understanding of how we treat animals. Uh, but, you know, I think personally, when we see animal, legitimate animal abuse, uh, that uh, when we see humans vent on on animals, use their animals as kind of an outlet for their frustration, as sometimes legitimately happens, I think Christians should call animal control. You know, to me, I think that is part of the Christian worldview. If, and obviously, that doesn't mean that if somebody is having their dog in a slightly long, slightly shorter lease than you would, that you call animal control. <laughs> but, I mean, we know that it's, I mean, I've seen cases where people have have beat their dogs beat their cats in a way that is not okay and it is illegal and you know i think that it is right and good to honor them for and honor what god has created by involving the authorities in those cases um you know i i, I think i want to note especially as we're connecting this finally like the latest we have to families you know our kids might abuse pets uh, that is one reality that, you know, that's one of the reasons why a lot of pet people don't like pets being around children, young children. Uh, they, it happens. Young children will hurt pets. And we should make, uh, we should always show that this is serious. But we also should never welcome pets that retaliate. So when we think about abuse of pets, we, we know that, you know, we need to raise children that, that reject that. We should punish children if they do that. But honestly, even then, we have our biblical worldview is going to say that it is worse when the pet retaliates than when the child acts cruelly to the pet. You know, you can't tolerate. Uh, you, you don't kick your child out of the home because they mistreated a pet when they're three-year-old. But your three-year-old dog that attacks a child has no business being in your home. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the uh, Maybe that will be controversial. I don't know. So. How can Christian parents use pet ownership as a means of discipling their children, Ben? Uh, one, it can help show responsibility and, and care. I think that can be good. Uh, it can be a means of teaching of death. Mm. You know, I mean, kids can get – I had a kid come up to me uh, just recently and, you know, it's very common. Kids not just pray for my dog, my cat, it's sick, it's pray for it, it died kind of thing. Yep. Um, and, I mean, that can be a, a method of teaching as well. Now, I'm going to leave that one to the parents. Um, say, well, we're not going to pray for your cat now. You're, it's pointless. You know, I'm yeah, just – oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I think it can you can teach just biblical ethics of, about uh, care and uh, concern and, and what it means to to do that in a godlike way using authority because even like helping the, the child to see like you're, you're a boss over this animal and how to exercise that in a way that's that's uh, benevolent and and not like you're some kind of tyrant and just you know beat the dog with a stick and stuff for fun uh, so I think you know, helping them see authority in a good way and helping them to even exercise it because uh, they're seeing your authority, but this is a way that they get to exercise it in some way. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, I, I want to first note in my response to this that, you know, I don't see this as a substantial hindrance or opportunity in terms of the discipleship of our kids, uh, but it can be used. So, you know, when we think about these, yeah, it does maybe provide discipleship opportunities like like what you mentioned almost entirely but you know this is not a situation where you know if you don't have if you have if you get a dog your your child will learn responsibility and it'll be a, a calm pastor or a <laughs> or a missionary that can deal with death one day but if they don't have a you know if they don't get a pet at all you know they end up a psychopathic killer I, I, obviously <laughs> that is not remotely the situation uh that is true it, i don't think it matters a ton really but you know it matters what you do when you have the pet uh, but you know pet opportunity ownership i think can provide these opportunities to teach about death i agree and probably to a degree responsibility but i i probably would guess that some of the statements about teaching responsibility uh, through pets has been overstated. You know, I mean, because we all know that it's a fundamentally different thing to learn how to feed something, you know, that's going to play with you and be your be basically something you own than it is to learn the responsibility of taking care of a child. <laughs> yeah. Now, do all dogs go to heaven? Uh, and uh, in light of that question, when the family pet dies, is it waiting for us in heaven? Uh gonna say no it sounds like that there are animals in the new heavens and the new earth but i don't think it's our animals Uh, they're not god's image bearers it's possible scripture does not address that directly and so given that they're not made in the image of god and i'm just gonna say it's probably not our animals that um that are populating god's new creation and actually, I've had, had someone ask me that one time, um, and it was not a child. Um, and thankfully, I was with my boss, and this is it was the person that asked me can joke around a lot. And so I didn't know if this was a joke, if this was real. And uh, Mark wisely said, well, don't you have this kind of animal that he was asking about? And I said, well, I do. And that was the reason that he, this guy was asking, um, because uh, that the animal had passed. And, you know, he was upset about it because he was really attached to the animal. And um, anyway, and he had read theologians who had comments on that. And so anyway, I mean, it was a pastoral situation. And I've heard another friend of mine in seminary had someone who was deeply distraught in his church over losing a, a family pet. And so, and he was just like, he didn't know what to do with it because, I mean, he liked animals, but he, he was not that deeply attached to one. And so uh, it, it is something that deeply affects people. But uh, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, historically, Christians have said that, uh, that believe that non, non-humans lack an eternal soul. You know, I think probably there might be an argument that animals have a sense of a soul, you know, not made in God's image, but, you know, there is something obviously different in animals than in broccoli. Uh, but, uh, I might be more likely to eat an animal than broccoli. <laughs> nonetheless, uh, this, I think, uh, that the kind of the, the belief almost that, you know, our pets, the things that we love are waiting for us in heaven can lead to a deeply unhealthy understanding of the afterlife as kind of really, uh, as really strongly believing the eternal life of pets that most people believe really uh, end up kind of glamorizing a cultural understanding of the afterlife, if that makes sense. So, you know, when we have this mentality where we're really bringing in the mentality of heaven seen and, you know, that in a lot of movies rather than in Bible's teachings, rather than a God-glorifying place. But I also do want to say... I think it is possible that God recreates our own pets in a way, maybe, and the new heavens and new earth. But I think it's important to understand, and to me, I hope this is words of comfort to anyone who has lost a pet, that if he doesn't, it's always because God is something better. You know, mm-hmm. I think I see that clearly the Bible shows that, you know, the new heavens and new earth, it might not necessarily have everything that we enjoy in this life. You know, uh, if kids are, have fun parents with kids listening, uh, I mean, I think sex is an example. Clearly, sex is not in the new heavens, new earth. Uh, but it's not because they're, because the new heavens, new earth isn't as good. It's because everything that is not, uh, in the new heavens, new earth is replaced by something better. So, you know, there's no, we had to have no fear that we're going to, in any sense, miss out. We're, we should never fear that what we had with our dog or our cat which was meaningful in a way is going to be let down when we enter the new heavens new earth even if it doesn't look the way we anticipate yeah i think that's a that's a good way of putting it now how can christian churches and parents best navigate the death of a beloved pet and i hope your answer is not we should contribute to it (laughs) Uh, I, i think we can thank god for his gifts I mean, I I know uh, my parents had a dog that died just a couple of years ago, and they got the dog towards the end of my time in high school, and she was still pretty pretty young. And so then I was there through high school and a couple of years into college, and I really liked the dog. She was a really sweet dog, and you know she died in my lap. We were mm-hmm. taking her to the vet to see if there was you know something they could do, and you know it was sad. Um, and so we can thank God for his gifts. And there, there is some level of companionship and connection, like the dog remembers you. And um, I think going the route of, you know, giving it a Christian burial or an expensive burial. And I mean, I know of churches that do blessing of pets and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think that's that's the most helpful thing to do. I think we can just thank God for his gifts. And, um, and I mean, even if, if someone's really struggling with it, praying for comfort for them. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those areas where I personally uh, have not, felt, again, I, I was sad about that, but did, I've never felt that level of attachment. And so um, trying to be empathetic, but uh, I think that's, that's the best I got. What do you, yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting question because uh, the I'm an interesting person. I guess I wrote it. I'm this, but 
you know, I I never anticipated in seminary how often in full-time ministry I would encounter a situation, especially in teaching kids' classes, children, where a, a child would uh, ta- talk about losing their pet, you know, and come very heartbroken. And I think in these cases, especially with children, but even for adults, I think we need to comfort people because it is a real loss and it is loss of something that is meaningful to that person. And that's not wrong that it was meaningful for that person uh mm-hmm. but i think but especially parents uh but really all of us can use this this to show the rule of death in this world but our ultimately hope beyond death you know i think there can be gospel opportunities from the death of a pet that is beloved uh, but i think we need to understand that uh since they are not made in the image of god you know, sparing years of pain when we navigate death is okay. So I think one of the things, too, you need to consider with, you know, losing pets, and even, even you know, if somebody comes to their children's pastor, their Sunday school teacher, and, you know, their pet their pet is in pain, I think we we, ne- we should strongly be against uh, euthanizing a, a, a human. But I think for a, a dog, for some uh cat something that is not made in the image of god that is hurting a great deal it can be very appropriate it can be even godly i think to allow something that is suffering to end end its life yeah i think so now would you if you had a, a child that came and asked you uh, to pray for their dead pet what would you say I would say I can pray for you for, uh, over this. And so I, and I have before. I, you know, I prayed, you know, obviously God, you know, God's will, if it be God's will, uh, for the pet to, you know, survive or get better, uh, that, that, that God would intervene. But if not, that God would help and comfort the family through this and even use that to draw them closer. That's generally my approach that I've had because I've had this case multiple times. I think the North <laughs> people have more pets than, than in the South, maybe. I don't know. Everybody is like, like Maryland and Maine have more pets than, than children, I think. I'm not surprised. I mean, now, I think there's some good explanatory reasons for this, but the city of San Francisco has more dogs than children. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's people around here with plenty of pets and they're very attached to them. But, yeah, I've never, like, told a kid, no, I'm not going to pray for that. That's dumb. It's it's important to the child, even if, if the pet is already dead, just praying for comfort for them. I've never told a child, well, yeah, your your pet's not in heaven, which I guess in the end, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. that that's my that's my guess. And like you said, it's possible that God will will do that. Um, but, you know, because I, I, then you could get into dicey territory if they ask you directly. Like, well, my dad said. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just gets into all kind of stuff because of the attachments that, that uh, people can have. And like you said, sort of the – uh, there's just a lot to that, but I think you can still be wise and loving as you try to comfort someone who they've lost something they really love. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that we shouldn't say, little Johnny, I just want to tell you, you know, you were so satisfied in your puppy dog while it was alive. And I'll tell you that the worms in the ground are being satisfied by your puppy dog right now. <laughs> Yeah, I probably wouldn't go that route. (laughs) Now, are any pets off limits for a Christian family? Uh, Oh, man, I don't know. Um, I think like illegal animals. I mean, you should just (laughs) you should obey Caesar in that. Um, I actually know someone. um, My sister knew someone who claimed that his neighbor had a liger. Now, this friend of hers was kind of known 
known for a tenuous relationship with the truth. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And so then my dad was uh, out near where this person lived and on business. And he heard this terrible noise. And he's like, what on earth is that? And he was asked the homeowner and the guy's like, oh yeah, my neighbor, he's got a liger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, to me, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say you can't. I, 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 it does get pretty risky. And I've heard it's actually very easy to acquire, uh, you know, these big cats, tigers and lions and ligers. And there's, you know, there's another one. Um, let's, if, what do you, uh, Tiglin? I can't remember what it's called, but it's like one, it's like the dad is a lion and the, the mom is a tiger. And then there's a reverse. And I can't remember um, what it's called. I just learned this recently. But, um, I probably wouldn't encourage someone to do that. It just seems like a big liability. And, uh, uh, you know, that show that was real, real, uh, Tiger popular King. during COVID, the Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch that? <laughs> I did. Yes. Okay. I so <laughs> I know someone who watched it. It's like, I've now wasted this many hours of my life and I'm now dumber for having watched this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what do you, you're talking about the monkeys ripping people's face off. Um, what, are, are there any animals you would say are off limits? So I would agree. And the, the other version of that is a Tigan. I looked it up. So Tigan, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so, so don't get a Tigan or a Liger. But, uh, you know, I, I have some private thoughts, uh, but would generally say any animal that posts significant danger to humans should never be a Christian's pet. Uh, and, um, you know, some pets, uh, would limit hospitality. I legitimately like, you know, I think I've known Christians that, you know, well, I'm not, I don't have kids in my home. You know, I'm an adult. Well, you were called hospitality. And if you have a pet that is going to pose a significant danger to those made in God's image, that's not okay. I, you know, it, it is not wise and almost any, unless you live on like a desert Island and are prepared to put it away for <laughs> you're called to be hospitable. Yeah, I think it is a matter of love. Uh, I know someone that's uh, well. My, again, my sister. My sister knows these people, these strange animals. But um, she was talking to somebody who had, had gotten pregnant and um, out of wedlock. And the fathers, they were trying to figure out what to do. And the fathers like, well you and the baby are not going to be able to move in with me because of my snakes. And I've got a lot of snakes and I've got to keep Mm. the house pretty cold for this or whatever it was, the temperature for the snakes. And so it's just not going to work out. Mm. And, you know, I mean, that that to me is just hard to to accept. Like, well, I'm going to push away my child here in favor of my snakes. But yeah. um, and, yeah, and I don't want a pet snake, but actually, what and and I don't think this just applies to, you know, the uh, snakes and stuff like that. You know, and this is where you know I could talk to me more individually, but I mean, there is like even PETA uh, has which we don't agree with on everything. PETA discourages ownership of what is the most popular. I think I think the most uh, most available, most affordable breed of dog that is out there because. Basically, it's like, you know, we like animals, but, you know, we realize that human safety is more important. And so, you know, so the, I, I think that should be a thought that we wage into. And it's something that I think some Christians are being careless on. 
And to be honest, uh, but I think further, any pet your living situation will not allow you to adequately care for is not something that Christians should be wisely in the business of. You know, I mean, you can if you live in a one story, you know, if you live in a uh, one bedroom apartment, that liger is definitely not something you should be having. <laughs> but I think we get the principle. You know, there's some animals that, you know, it's, you know, probably, you know, the very, the very, very large German shepherd dog, uh, you know, live maybe maybe them living in a dorm room is probably not the best choice. <laughs> it just depends, though. Again, you know, it's you know, it's hard to know what suffering is for an animal. So, yeah. Anyway, so well, I hope that uh, yeah, I hope Ben, you're inspired to go out and buy a dog, and uh, and may, or maybe if not a liger or a monkey. So, yeah, not not at this point. The my parents. Uh, have a, a dog who gave my dad a black eye the other day playing. And so I'm like, that's another reason I not have a dog. Yeah, I get it. All right. Well, I hope listeners, whether they have a dog or a cat or any other animal, <laughs> benefited from this podcast. And God bless, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.